The soul of Detroit. Brought to you by Tide. T-I-D-E. Tide. Procter and Gamble's new wash day miracle. I'm Al Alred. The famous character created by Earl Stanley Gardner. Dramatized by Irving Bendig. I'm Al Alred. Defender of human rights. Champion of all those who seek justice. For this job. Let me tell you something. You want to go right now? Okay. You want to go right now? Hey, kids, it's your old pal ML Elric with a jam packed show. Uh, we have more guests in studio than we've ever had before, but I think we're going to cover more ground than we ever had before because of addition by subtraction. Sean Windsor is not with us. You wouldn't know that unless I told you that because he's, uh, he's energy vampiring somebody <laughs> somewhere else. But he will be with us before too long. And Mark, it's great to have you back. I, I missed, I missed your production wizardry on the intro, which uh, this week I think featured Joe Zuber on the was lacking on the Farsifa organ at the end. There, it was very nice. Is that just to push your knowledge of what kind of organ that was? Uh, yes. Boy, there's an opening right there. No, uh, no I, I, I because I've been reading um, Nick Mason's mm -hmm. uh, book about. Pink Floyd, and he talks about their equipment, and Richard Wright's always experimenting on different uh, keyboards and stuff, and so the Farsifa just sounds kind of good. Better than the Mellotron. It makes you sound smart, too. Really? People are impressed by organ knowledge? Yes. Not just at urology conventions? And there's your opening. Sorry. I can't, Sorry. You can't, you I'm can't, used to it. You can't throw that many meatballs. It's like when uh, Denny McLean grooved one for Mickey Mantle, and he missed the first one, and Freehand said, hey, idiot. That's not, for you. Not a dated reference at all. Yeah. Oh, but everybody here. Do you, does anybody get that right? I mean, I know what you were talking about. Does anyone know that reference? No. No. I think uh, August no, no. and I are the only three. guys who were born when Tiger Stadium was still there. But uh, and that's that's <laughs> August Kitschlag who'll be joining us to talk about the tracksuit nine party at Whiskey in the Jar. Great charity event that will be happening soon. So stick around for that. But first, we're going to talk to Claire Hendrickson of the Free Press about uh, a story that had. I was going to say rhyme, but no reason, but there was no rhyme either. It's just we spent a lot of your tax dollars to create a poet laureate in Michigan, which is great because we, we like culture and not just the kind you get in a cup of yogurt. But then they forgot to hire a poet laureate. My choice had been M.L. Liebler. I just think he has a great name and, and also some of his stuff actually rhymes. But that was vacant, and Claire's going to tell you about what happened and about how the state tried to get out from under the hammer, which is... Probably one of my most favorite parts of the story. And then our uh, old friend, Mark Curlianchik. I, I don't mean that he's old. It's just been a while since he's been on the show. We'll be here to talk about Cold Water Kitchen, a fantastic documentary that you will be able to see at the upcoming Freep Film Festival. It's a, a local documentary. This film festival is going on, I think it's 10th year. It's been around for quite a while. And I will be there emceeing a documentary on Elmore Leonard, who is a great, great local author. I uh, just read a couple of his books recently, um, and I still think I have like 100 to go because he was that prolific. 
But if you missed a previous episode of the show, we had his leg man on who was talking about what it was like to help Elmore Leonard get all that great detail and vivid characters that you would read in the master's uh, novels. So we have a great show packed. And if we have time, we'll talk about my Jeffrey Figer story, which it turns out Jeff was not given in, <laughs> but maybe he should have because he continued to practice law after he was diagnosed with a serious heart condition. And one of the questions I was left with after investigating that was, was Jeff Figer skeptical of his lawyer, of his doctors? Was Jeff Figer trying to get over on his insurance company? Or did Jeff Figer just love the fight so much that he couldn't give it up, even knowing that he might be risking his life by going back into court and fighting? Not giving in. That's, that's Geoff for you. So we'll be talking about all that and more. This is brought to you, of course, by David Hall, Hall Financial, and Luke Nowacki of Pinnacle Wealth Strategies. Two gentlemen who have great outfits that can help you save money on a mortgage and can help you prepare for your retirement, whatever big financial dreams you have. And then the Cadu Cafe, as always, the pride of the east side, the only place I think pretty much in the world that you can go feather bowling. I think it's even in Belgium, they defer to the Cadu Cafe. It's that special. And uh, I went to karaoke last Wednesday. Oh, God. I didn't participate. Oh, I just thank was, God. I was just sitting there. And I got to tell you, some of the people who sang were really, really good. It was not, they, they really let karaoke down because I think when you go to karaoke, you're expecting William Hung. And instead we had people who could really belt a tune. So uh, there's a karaoke angle on your uh, room 7609 later on today too. Oh, is there? Yeah. Oh, well, so room 7609. If you, if you know, I, I mean, if you know what the song is. Uh, well, I want to hear that when we get there okay. because I have a little twist. We're, we're do This month we're doing, and, and for the foreseeable future, we're doing pop music that either sampled, was inspired by, or is derivative of new wave music. And this week's 7609 entry is a double new wave ripoff. So, uh, so we'll oh, see I only it. caught the one. Okay. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. So we got a lot a to lot share. Yeah. A lot to share. So that's, that's a lot coming up this hour. Mark, how, how have you been? Where were you? What, what, was this some like work release thing? I mean, or? you can't tell from the pure exhaustion and bags under my eyes that I was at Disney World with two little kids for a full week. Oh, really? Did you fight a with, full week? Did you fight with Ron DeSantis while you were there? No, no, no. And okay. I have noticed there's no change since he took it over and appointed all his uh, political donors to the board of what's it called? Is it Spring something? It's got a weird name that Disney used to govern. Anyway. I yeah, I don't know. I, I heard that he's trying to get back at him by talking about building a prison near Disney, which you know, I, I remember Whatever. when, okay, when all ahead. you had to worry about was your kid getting eaten by an alligator at Disney. Now you have to worry about maybe picking up a hitchhiker who just broke out of just the just doesn't seem very pro-business. But um, yeah. Disney World, taking kids to Disney World is very hard. It, it, it's, it's parenting in a pressure cooker because you spend a lot of time yelling at them, giving them instructions, telling them, no, stop doing that, do this, do that. And it's very exhausting, and it wears on you for that short moments of happiness and bliss that you experience. Can't you do that a lot cheaper just at home? Well, yeah, but I mean, yeah, I guess so. And then I don't have a retort to that. Then you don't have to worry about... I don't ever want to go back, I'll tell you that. The adults who knock your kid over because they want to get an autograph from Peter Pan. I'm like, wait a minute... I know he's never supposed to grow old, but what are you 50-year-old people doing with autograph books waiting to get in line and hang out with, uh, 
with Ariel. Okay, I, Ariel, I, I understand, I, but maybe I did, I did find out one amazing fact about my girls, and it's that they love roller coasters and they just want to go on the fastest, tallest rides they have, and none of this crap where you're sitting in a boat going through a a building looking at things. So I'm glad they're thrill seekers. Damn, did you have to at, pay at the five premium and nine. to huh? get to the front of the line? Did oh you yeah. yeah, oh yeah, everything's an add-on down there. <sighs> And I'm not waiting in line for two and a half hours to see the Star Wars uh, thing. What's it called? Yeah, no. Rise of the Resistance. We we went to we went to uh, Disney World. For, now I can write off the trip though. This is great. Let's talk oh, more yeah, about no, it. Oh yeah, no, this is this is and get the mileage. <laughs> Make sure you get the mileage. Uh, we went to Universal when we yeah. were there with the girls for Sophie's 16th birthday, and the only thing I liked about any of these parks is at Universal they had the Duff Bar. Yeah, for the so Simpsons. That, yeah. yeah, so that was cool. Which is odd because it's owned by Disney now, but whatever. Uh, well, a lot's changed. A lot's changed since Rupert uh, shook up the uh, entertainment world by selling 21st Century True. to Disney and Disney to what I don't know. And Star Wars now, it's, it's all very confusing. What's not confusing is that the state of Michigan set some money aside to pay for a poet laureate. Something like, Claire, was it $250,000? Two hundred thousand dollars across two fiscal years. Okay, so basically, is that a hundred grand a year? A hundred grand a year, yeah. So that's probably more than most poets make in like a thousand years, right? That would have they could have had a hundred poet laureates. I don't know the economics of the the poetry industry, but you know, that's possible. <laughs> yeah, if you see poets, there aren't a lot of fat poets. You know, I think that it, it, I don't know if it's because of smoking the jarum cigarettes or the weight of the berets, but they tend to be. Some of your more lean uh, individuals, because there isn't that much money in poetry, we finally put some money into poetry in the state of Michigan, and they did everything except what? Hire a poet until I started asking some questions about this. And it's kind of funny. I mean, $100,000 seems like a lot. You know, to us, but in government to, to reporters, terms, it's, yeah, drop in the bucket. <laughs> it's pretty yeah. small. I mean, this is one of the smallest line item appropriations in the Michigan Department of Education budget. And I sort of caught wind of this when I went to the governor's budget presentation earlier this year, where she's asking for money to re-up this program. And so I started googling Michigan State Poet Laureate. Nothing came up, and we had funding set aside. For this, after years and years of legislative attempts to get a state poet laureate, there's finally money here, and no one had been hired for the role until um, I started, you know, digging into this. So, who was the last poet laureate? The last poet laureate was a guy named Edgar Guest. He was a free press poet. He was appointed to the role in 1952, and he held it until he died in 1959. And, in, and since then, Michigan has not had a poet laureate. So uh, now that now that Sean's joining us, I should tell you that <laughs> when I had my tour of the Manoogian Mansion and get the bell ready after Kwame Kilpatrick got ousted, ousted in the garage of the Manoogian Mansion, there was a framed Edgar Guest poem in there. No way! Yeah, he That's had wild. something about about um, never giving up or something. I mean, he was kind of a classic old school, everything rhymed like a yeah. rosa red, violets are blue type of guy. Sure. Um, I guess it probably can be considered sort of lowbrow can i can i speaking of lowbrow can i be the philistine in the room and ask why do we need a poet laureate that is a good question so i want to just well, share got a state bird right we may as well have a why do we need a state, state bird butterfly i think um 
Yeah, there are a lot of different efforts to sort of name estate plant, estate flower, all of that stuff. Um, but this is, you know, a person in a public post to promote literary arts. And it's not like an obscure position. Most states have a state poet laureate. Michigan, until last week, was one of just four without a writer for the state or a state poet laureate. Usually we think of a state poet laureate as someone who recites a poem at, you know, inaugurations, that sort of thing. Um, but the the focus of this role is going to be getting someone to travel across Michigan, you know, talk about poetry with young people, visit classrooms, visit libraries, that sort of thing. Well, and a poet can be inspiring. The, uh, the poet who spoke before the inauguration, it was... Um, Amanda and... In, in the Gorman, the, I think. Gorman, yeah. yeah, I mean, that became a national story. That was a pretty cool thing. Um, you know, and I mean, I mean, I think the state plant now is cannabis, right? I mean, that <laughs> recently changed that. But, but the poet, it's one of those things where it seems like we should have it. It, it, it could be somebody who kind of captures the feeling of the state, who can put it into verse. But at the same time, these days, Oh my God, do what, you want to have that controversy over who it is? Oh, this poet's, that's all politics. Oh, it's this, it's that. I mean, it seems like a new battle. Not only that, ML, but so much, so many messages are spread on social media. What do we pay public employees to manage social media and manage Twitter accounts? I mean, to me, it's, it's almost replaced the poet laureate. You could get that message out about the arts and stuff through modern technology. Do you know any of that answer? <laughs> like, what is spent on that? Well, I think there's, I, I don't know in terms of social media budgets within department communication sure, strategies, but, you know, there's something to be said for someone who can kind of try and capture the voice of Michigan. Michigan has a really rich poetry history. Um, Robert Hayden, I learned last week from our new poet laureate, Nandi Comer, he uh, consulted with the Library of Congress and a position that ultimately became the National Poet Laureate position. So Michigan has sort of played a, its its role here in, in American history in trying to advance the arts through this this specific uh, form. Well, plus, do you want the uh, the mood of 2023 to be captured for all of his story for by uh, Chesterfield Township Joe 69? I mean, it's probably... No, but it is. Well, I mean, you got to sift through a lot of crap to get to something that really seems to, to capture the zeitgeist. Sean, did you get that word? That's a big... I had to look that one Hi, up. Sean. It's at the back of the dictionary, right? It's after, a podcast you're supposed to speak. But. Right after the Y words. But uh, so, Claire, so you find this out, you start asking questions, you're getting ready to publish your story. And I think I was sitting just down the row from you. This was a big day at the Free Press because there were four of us. So it was like a packed house. We <laughs> at had least the, on our side of yeah, the office. <laughs> we had the fire marshal say, hey, 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 you know, everybody make sure you get in a single row to get out of here if there's a calamity. But a funny thing happened. And what, what was that? Yeah, so I gave them, well, just to sort of establish the timeline here, I had been asking the Michigan Department of Education questions since February about this. And initially I got ghosted, and then I submitted a FOIA request, got an estimate of $630 <laughs> to fill the FOIA request for Poet Laureate correspondence, and then... Which means there was a lot of correspondence, right? They must have been working yeah. day and night on this thing. <laughs> You'd think. Um, and then, you know... I finally learned that there was a selection committee that had been put in place to vet candidates for a poet laureate position. I asked, well, are they going to do it soon? You know, they've had this money for a while. And the the evening before I was set to publish, I learned uh, there's going to be an announcement this week. Stay wow, tuned. Huh. Mm -hmm. But the crazy thing the is odds? they had spent some of this money that was supposed to 
pay the poet? What did they spend it on? It was over $67,000 on poetry books and promotional materials for future poet laureate events. All that spent, you know, before selecting someone publicly into that role. So does that mean this poet laureate can expect to make about 30 grand after they're done skimming the rest of it off for all this other dross? I don't know how the honorarium is going to be structured, but I'm sure they will get some compensation. I don't know what poetry books were purchased or, you know, the promotional expenses, but my understanding is that there's an expectation that they're going to do a certain number of public events and poetry recitations, visiting classrooms, that sort of thing. Ay, ay, ay. I mean, this seems like uh, this seems like some kind of hustle where they're spending money, but they, I mean, you would think that the money they'd want to, the books they'd want to spend money on would be the poet's books. And I can't imagine that all the people who are interested in being poet laureate wouldn't send them a complimentary book to say, here's my stuff, please consider me in the same way that when we send a resume to a potential boss, we don't say, uh, postage due, pal, you know, you get, although I guess now it's all emails. I'm kind of old, but uh, I keep applying for the same jobs too. I guess they just say, <laughs> we still got your shit in the drawer. It hasn't gotten any better, but we'll hire anyway. Um, what's a... Uh, what did they say about this poet? Did they actually have this poet in mind when you inquired or did they say, anybody know somebody who rhymes? Clara's up our ass. Just grab this person. Uh, no, I, I mm. mean, I would assume just given the timing of all this, they had been, you know, engaged in some sort of selection process. I don't know why it, it took so long. Um, folks who I've spoken to who have served on these various councils and the arts um, say that this sort of thing can kind of take a while. Um, but, I like to think that maybe my reporting helped accelerate this and gave Michigan a poet laureate earlier than we probably would have had one. And did oh, you get a no. nice note from the poet laureate? I got coffee with her last week and we caught up. We had a great interview. Uh, her name's Nandi Comer. She is from Detroit. She's an award-winning writer and she already has experience working with children and youth, um, engaging them in, in poetry writing. And um, she's really excited for the role and getting to travel Michigan and share her art with the state. Who paid for the coffee? I paid for mine. She paid for hers. All right. <laughs> wow. It's, well, you could have expensed both of them on the few <laughs> Exactly. She could have done it on the state. Of course, the poet, she's got this, your, uh, your coffee mate has a hundred grand to splash around now. So it'd be about, <laughs> be about time that they get to spend it instead of all these jokers who uh, just found some money in the budget. It, it's, you know, it's kind of funny because the state had a billion dollars that it's paid out in grants, which is never uh, a good thing because they rarely vet the programs or they do vet them. Like, who is this pal who's getting all the money? Um, but uh, but two hundred grand for a poet laureate not to spend it—that just seems silly. And and the thing that I guess troubles me the most is that there seemed to be no sense of urgency until somebody from the fourth estate called and said, hey, uh, what, what are you guys doing about this? Yeah, wouldn't it be great if we could go through every line item in the budget and just, you know, what happened to the money that we set aside? Oh my, if, you know, if we did that, we would... We well, would probably, they probably never thought you would write something because yeah. it's just a drop in the bucket of the budget. Yeah, this is definitely outside of my regularly scheduled programming of covering the governor and the state legislature. But it ended up being a really interesting budget story. And I learned a lot more about uh, Michigan's history here. There had been 11 bills introduced this century to, to you know, get a poet laureate in Michigan. So it's not like this was a, a random thing out of nowhere. There had been bipartisan attempts for years to get this done. 
Jeez. Well, it makes you wonder about the quality of our lawmakers when both parties agree we need to do something and they still don't get something done. But that's why we have the fourth estate and the much maligned mainstream media is because we do look at things like this. We do pay attention to things like this. And the questions we ask sometimes do get results. So Claire Hendrickson, Detroit Free Press, you can read her stuff. She covers government. She uncovers government. If you see all these election myths and baloney out there, Claire is one of the people who gets to the bottom of it. She did try and steal the election in 2020. I have to say that. She shouldn't have done that. That was her lunch that was taken into Cobo Hall that turned <laughs> out to uh, throw the whole thing towards the Green Party. But she's, you know, she's straightened up. So that's, that's good. Thanks for having me. It's been so, fun. Claire, thanks for coming on. And if you want to support Claire's work, you can subscribe to the Free Press. Go to Freep.com. Oh, what's your Twitter, too? Do you have a Twitter? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. It's at Clara Jane Hen. Clara Jane Hen. And we'll have a link to her story on our website, which is mlsolvedetroit.com. We'll also have a link so you can subscribe to the free press. Drew doesn't like to pay for stuff. So here's what we're doing. This is our Drew deal. If you subscribe to the free press using the link on our website, we will send you a $5 Amazon gift card. And then I think your annual subscription price is like $9.99, which is... So it's really only five bucks for a year full of free presses. And I think that's probably as much as we charge you to pick up one Sunday edition at the newsstand. So check out that link on our website and, uh, and support Claire's journalism because no, there's more poets out there that need to be brought to justice. Metaphorically speaking. Poetic justice. Oh, <laughs> damn. I, that was a colleague. He gave that line in an email to me last week. Once, ag once again, we're bearing the lead here in journalism, <laughs> but yes, poetic justice. Damn. I, I like that better than rhyme, but no reason or no reason, but reason, but no rhyme. I can't remember. It was, it was so brilliant. It's lost in the ether. Like so many morsels of wisdom here. Speaking of morsels of Sean's wisdom. Laughing at you. Yeah. Here's Sean. Who's, Brings us crumbs of wisdom. <laughs> Sean, would you care to join us? I think I think <laughs> sure. Claire's, Claire's warmed up your seat for you. We have we have some feedback for you to read later in the show if you'd like to pre-screen that. In the meantime, the I'll tell everybody about uh, Hall Financial. How about that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Before we get to Mark in August, let's hear about people who can save you money, even more than our $5 gift card to subscribe to the free press. It's springtime, right? It's the spring uh, buying season. We all know that season. Yeah, I just took all the snow brushes out of my car, exactly. and then it's That's why you know snowed. it's spring in Michigan. Inventory's on the rise. Rates have actually kind of leveled off. They're the lowest. I think they've been in five or six months, so... If you think that might be the right time to buy, the first call you need to make is to Hall Financial. They have a ton of great programs right now that can save you money off your rate and um, they can even help you with down payment assistance. This week, they've announced a 1% down program with up to $4,000 in forgivable down payment assistance for qualified buyers. So if you're thinking about um, buying a home or maybe you want to renovate your home or get that second home up north or take equity out of your house, there's a lot of stuff you can do. Go to the website, click on the link. And get started for Hall's Above and Beyond five-star service just for our listeners. Call 866-CALL-HALL and make sure to tell them that we sent you. 866-CALL-HALL or callhallfirst.com. And you can find a link to David Hall's website on our website. That's mlsolvedetroit.com. If you're planning for the future, may we suggest that Luke Nowak is a guy you need to call. Oh, you want to do Luke now too? Okay. Yeah, let's get in. Let's 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 save people money for today and tomorrow. Yeah, Luke is that guy. He is. Um... Can we get an echo when I say tomorrow next time? Try it. Let's save money for you today and tomorrow. That's not the best echo. Tomorrow.
Yeah, forgetting. We tried. We tried. Yeah, uh, Luke Nowacki can help you, whether it's today or in the future. What, or what, tomorrow. What, <laughs> tomorrow. What are your financial goals? Tomorrow. Give Luke a call. It is a free consultation. He'll um, answer all the questions you have about what you should do with your money because make it start making more money for you. So call Luke Nowacki, 248-663-4748. Luke can help you out. He's a good dude with, uh, with your money. Is that a good enough uh, read? I think so, because if you call Luke, he'll make it all about you. Sweetheart, sweetheart. Securities sweetheart. and investment advisory services offered through Royal Alliance Associates Inc. Member FINRASIPC. Royal Alliance Associates Inc. is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names. Products or services referenced here are independent of Royal Alliance Associates Inc. Ladies and gentlemen, Sean Windsor. Hey, there we go. The burst of energy we we're looking for. Anyways, while Sean heats up, uh, let's Why let's say anything. Why haven't you said a word today? I was just thinking it was good for me to stand over there in the corner. That's really where I belong in the told, studio. I space. told you was gonna, that's exactly yeah. what I predicted you were going to say. The only difference between this and the rest of your life is you did not have to wear a pointed hat this time. <laughs> or an S. Or an S. On the chest. Is that, is that how they did were, it where you were from? You were promiscuous? What is this, some no, sort no, no. of... Nathaniel Hawthorne shit you're bringing out. We just had a poet talk. We did our book segment already, and now well, you're. Mark doesn't like poets, I guess. No, I. You hate I, poets. I just poet laureate. Too. And Mike doesn't want anybody to spend any money what on. I mean, I so hate. This is a good quite problem. a leap. I hate poets. I, just, I, I want them to spend money on the poet. That's the problem. They budgeted money for a poet, and they spend it for stuff, and we don't know it. Oh, where's my check? Weak. Sorry. I don't hate poets. I yeah, just, poetic. It's going to be tough well, to talk about justice. That was pretty good. I'm a poet laureate. Just saying. Okay. Yeah, screw the arts. Yep, that's what I said. Screw the arts. Okay, well, let's go to a real man of letters, Mark Curlyanchik, who is a documentary <laughs> filmmaker, great reporter, great journalist, has put together a terrific movie for. Uh, do we call it a movie? It's a movie. Okay. Yeah. It's a, you know, we prefer film. Yeah. Well, my my <laughs> Irish industry. granny would have said film. Movies just fine though. Yeah, the Irish have an extra syllable on everything. It's like it's, it's Mark Curlyanchik when I talk about his film. That's cool. You can call it a film all you want. <laughs> I think she's been dead for a long time, but that's what she would say if she was with us. So the the film is Cold Water Kitchen. It's about uh, it's about prisoners making really good food, which uh, is really understating it. Yeah, and this is I should say it's it's been five years in the making. Uh, it started when I was the restaurant critic at the at the Free Press. And I, I got a letter from uh, from an incarcerated man at, at Lakeland Correctional Facility who said, you know, I've been a I'm sous innocent. I've been a sous chef. Well, that was part of it. And then yeah. also I've been <laughs> a sous chef. Too. I've been a sous chef in this program for for 20 years. And, uh, you know, I think what we're doing is pretty is pretty great. And, you know, I kind of set it aside on, on the pile and. And, you know, I wouldn't say forgot about it, but it kept coming up. There was other chefs in town who were like, oh, yeah, that's an actual that, that program is legit. You got to go check out what, what's going or what's going on there. And uh, eventually uh, the, the guy who runs the program, Chef Jimmy Lee Hill, who this film is sort of about, he's kind of the, the central um, narrator throughout it. He invited me officially to come and, and check it out. Uh, and I, you know, I'd made the two and a, woke up at the crack of dawn, made the two and a half hour drive to Coldwater, Michigan, um, 
and was basically turned away at the at the gate when I got there because I was never I was never given any like paperwork to fill out. You know, you're supposed to fill out these like lean forms that get you. Right. It's like a background check. Yeah. So you don't go in there with a bunch know. of. Uh, well, I I brought my reporter's full of my reporter's notebook with the spi- you know spiral bound reporter's notebook well, and it all could kinds be a of shiv. Well, exactly. And they said, no, you cannot bring that in. We don't have anything for you. You know. And I was I I almost at that moment turned around and went home. And uh, decided for some reason to just like, you know, I've already made this drive. I'll just, let's, let's push. Let's get the warden involved. Warden gets involved. I finally get in. They don't let me bring my notebook in, but I could bring my camera, just a still, a still camera oh, wow. for photos. And I walked in and, um, you know, this, is, this was kind of like the, uh, the sign of good hospitality, right? You're, it's a very hostile environment that I'm walking into. And I'm not necessarily, the carpet isn't being rolled out for me in any sense. And uh, it, it all kind of didn't matter because once I got in, I mean, the food that they presented me and, and like the level of service was just kind of mind blowing. There was a sommelier on staff who's pouring wine. It's non-alcoholic wine, but he's talking about it as if it is and explaining the grape and the growing methods and everything. And, you know, it was a wild game feast that they made. So it's literally like something out of a Jim Harrison novel or, you know, one of his one of his great essay books about eating because it was like. Uh, pan roasted uh, pheasant with Calvados cream sauce and avocado and seared bison. They made this 10 foot long charcuterie board and all of it was made in house. And like most of the vegetables on it were grown in this football field size garden right outside this classroom. And so like, all of that frustration that I had walking in was just like gone. And it's like, that's exactly what you want a good so, restaurant to do, you know? I mean, it must have felt like a real restaurant. It sure did, yeah. Who eats there, though? Well, so, you know, once a year... The screws! They, once a year, they invite outside people from the outside to come and check it out. And really, it's, it's, a, you know, it's a training program for the guys inside once they're outside of, the, mm-hmm. outside of the prison. Now they have these skills and they have certificates and they can get a job. And so... They invite outside chefs to come in and, you know, build relationships and, and, and you know, kind of prepare them for the next step. But then um, once a week, they also prepare a meal for the staff at the prison, at the facility. And then the guys who are in the program also get to basically taste the food and, and eat as they go. Did it feel like a quote unquote real restaurant? I mean, what, what were the big differences when you're sitting in there? Well, I mean, it was it was or set the up kitchen. I mean, I'm sure you went yeah, back. Yeah, it's kitchen. it's set up like a symposium. You know, it's set up like a like a um, like a classroom, really. Okay. You know, it's it's a culinary program. It's a training program first and foremost. So, so it feels like that. It feels you know educational, institutional, in some on some level. But it was the uh, the the level of food that was really really impressive. So I went to the work camp outside of Ann Arbor. Back when, get the bell ready, Kwame Kilpatrick was trying to get assigned to a work camp for his prison sentence. And the food in the cafeteria was better than I expected. But I had the sweatiest piece of salami I've ever seen and some iceberg lettuce that had way too much Italian dressing, which I kind of put on the salami sandwich to mask the salami's uh, perspiration and also to eat something that was somewhat edible. I would have never thought that in a Michigan house of correction, you could have something that you would willingly eat. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of the, that's when I knew that there was something, um, you know, obviously the the MDOC does not have a great reputation. I mean, there's been a lot of really bad things that they've served the, uh, you know, their incarcerated population. Well, they had a contractor. I think they took a contract away because the food was terrible. So bad. And so, so, you know, just to be clear, this is not food that is served to the general population in the, uh, in the facility. 
it is really training for the guys who are in the program and so that they can familiarize themselves with things like, I mean, they are serving things like foie gras and lobster and oysters and, you know, really high-end things that some of these guys have never seen before. And it's educational. You know, Chef Hill, who um, who runs the program and he's is, running- Is he an inmate? He is not. He is a, he is, um, he's an employee of the MDOC of the state of Michigan. Um, and he has been for almost 40 years now. He's been running this program for almost 40 years. Um, you know, he tells his story about growing potatoes and how, you know, he, one time he had, you know, guys go outside and just dig in the dirt for a little bit. And he pulled out some potatoes and people are like, what, what are those? You know, cause they didn't know that, came that, from the ground. that potato yeah. chips could come from potatoes that come from the ground. Um, you know, so some, some of the guys that come in there are There's starting no Irish on that, in this prison I on guess. that basic level. There's a little of Irish, you know, as there is in, in every prison, yeah. but, uh, but you know, hey, wait some, a minute. some guys are coming in with that that level of knowledge, and then there are other guys um, who, like one of our main subjects in the film, who we follow. Um, he had cooked at Roast in Detroit. He had cooked at the Standard in New York, and was he was like already at a higher level before he came in, and so he became a tutor in this program that then you know helped Chef Hill teach new guys coming in uh, how to cook essentially, and not just how to cook. I mean, he teaches everything from safety and sanitation all the way to catering. So it's service as well. I mean, it's composure. It's how you, you know, it's all the things. What um, what are some of the crimes that these guys have committed? Yeah, I mean, is this they, maximum security, exactly. minimum? It's a, it's a level, you think of a kitchen, you think of knives and forks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's a level two facility. Okay. Um, they do cook with knives. The knives are tethered. So um, in the opening of the film, you sort of see uh, Chef Jimmy... He, he gets to work and he get, prepares the classroom for his students and he's locking, you know, he's taking knives off the wall and locking them up at the station so that they can be used at the stations. Um, so again, it's a level two facility. So they have everyone from, you know, low level drug offenses to, to they have a large population of folks serving life in prison. Wow. Um, and one of, our, one of our subjects, Ernest Davis also, he was a juvenile lifer. So he was sentenced at 17 and spent, you know, 30 some years in prison. He's the guy who wrote me the letter to come check out. Really? Yeah, to come check out uh, the program. So they let the lifers in there, even though, I assume this is vocational, right? So you're acquiring skills. So when you get out, you don't come back in. What's the point in teaching a lifer how to make great meals when they're going to be eating that sweaty salami until they die? Well, most of it, you know, a lot of the lifers, they, they, they become tutors. So they, 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 acquire the skills that then they can pass them on to others, you know, but then there's also a, you know, an element of hope. I mean, yeah. this is not a place that there's a lot to live for, you it's know, when escape. you're, when you're looking at life without them treat it as an escape and they're excited. That's exactly know. it. That's and you exactly get some good it. eats, right? They get to eat some of what they make. Yeah, for sure. And they get the fulfillment of like looking, having something to look forward to and, and escaping the yard, you know what I mean? Which is not a place that, that is pleasant, you know? And so you can go in, you can work on yourself, you have purpose. Um, and that's a lot of what, what this program offers too. I mean, it's just, and that was really the thing that like, so after that visit, I wrote a story and was talking to the guys who are in the program there. And every single guy said, you know, well, when, when I'm in there, I feel like I am not in prison. I feel like I'm in grandma's kitchen and, you know, and the world is mine again. And I mean, that's just such a powerful thing. And the fact that you can do that through food, you know, for me as a, as a journalist, as a storyteller who uses food as like the prism to talk about other things, to talk about people's lives, that was like, oh, this is, this, there's something really special here. This isn't just a, a story in the free press. Like we got to follow this. We got to, you know, well, figure it, out what's going on. In the film, do you follow some guys that get out and then? Yeah, we do. Like, I mean, what are some, can you share some of the success stories? Like how high have they climbed in the culinary? World. I mean, one one of the guys uh, who was uh, who we, we actually filmed with him. I met him 
in the program when I visited, and then we started filming with him the day that he gets released from prison. Uh, he runs. What was he in for? Can you say? Uh, it was a, a drug charge. Yeah, drug charge. He did seven years. Um, so he gets out after seven years, and uh, you know, a few months later, he opens a carryout joint on the east side of Detroit. Still, still going strong now. The Green Mile Grill. You can go check it out. It's the not Green not, Mile Grill. It's not very far from <laughs> from UML on the east oh. side. I think it may maybe in District Four. I mean, it's, I'm still going to Shawshank Shawarma. Shawshank. Wow, is that a thing? <laughs> no, I just uh, you know you had the Green Mile, so I thought I'd <laughs> pretty good. I thought I'd get my Stephen King in there. Admit it, Sean. That was pretty good. It was very good. Well, you know, working title at one point was Lamb Shank Redemption. That's uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I want to go to a prison restaurant that has shank anywhere in the that's name, a, but uh, but still, that's so. Where is it now? Tell me about this place again. The Green prison Mile Grill. Oh, the Green no, no, Mile Grill. Yeah. yeah, it's on uh, it's on Harper and Connor, basically. It's, oh it's, shit! Yeah, that's like two miles from my house. Yeah, it's not far from you. It's carry out only, but I mean, Dink does he does seafood boils, he does lamb chops, he does some really great smoked wings that I had last week. Uh, yeah, check it out. Okay. So I, I mean. Is this the only kind of program like this in a prison, at least in Michigan, that you know? No, it's not. Actually, Michigan. So, Michigan has 11 of these food tech programs. Well, they do. Wow. Okay. However, um, what sets this program apart and uh, this, this story, you know, the reason that we focus on this one is because Chef Hill is not like most, most employees of the MDOC or, you know, other people who run food tech programs. It's, you know, he doesn't look at any of the files of any of his guys that come into it. So he's a very spiritual man. He's a man of faith. And, you know, his whole outlook is, you know, when the judge hit the gavel, they sentence, you know, that that was the punishment for these guys. I'm not here to punishment to punish them. Yeah. I'm here to to give them skills and, and support. Well, yeah, if you want to lessen the recidivism, and like so, you don't want them well, coming back. That's in. exactly it. And so it, you know, instead of, you know, a lot of the guys talk about how prison is such a dehumanizing, you know, place. And that's you yeah. once you enter prison, you're you're starting that process of dehumanization. Even even the term prisoner, right, is like is part of that. You know, you take away somebody's humanity by labeling them prisoner. And so what Chef Hill does is the opposite. He basically says, like, you come in, I don't care what you did. As long as you're here, you do the work, you have a second chance. Everyone is deserving of a second chance. And he starts there. And like a lot of these guys haven't, A, they haven't had, you know, a ton of positive in, influence in their life or a, or a mentor or a father figure. And so he becomes that for a lot of them. It's not just, I'm going to teach you how to cook and cut things. I mean, knife skills are certainly part of it, but there's so much more beyond that. And it's just like, having faith, trusting in them. You know, he always says, if you treat them like animals, they'll act like animals. When you treat somebody like a human being and you treat them with respect, I mean, it doesn't matter what they did. There's, there's, there's the possibility for goodness, you know, starting at that point. So the film is done. You said it, what took three years? Is that how long you said it took? Well, five, we, five. Okay. Yeah, Your project. Five, five, five from like the time I set foot into the, into the facility to it, you know, now screening basically in Detroit. So um, then what happens? Do you try to sell it to a distributor? I mean, what, what are the plans for this film? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's in its film festival run. It had the world premiere uh, at Doc NYC in November. Now we're having our sort of our homecoming. The Michigan premiere is April 26th at the DFT inside the DIA. Just want to mention that. Yeah, yeah that's uh, the Detroit yeah. Film Theater, so right in the uh, Cultural Center. So yep. please come and see it. Uh, and and then you, D, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but yep. DFT at the DIA. Yep. So that's so this this is the Michigan premiere. Uh, it's opening night of the Freep Film Festival. Uh, we've got you know a couple of film festivals uh, out west that it's going to screen through, but yeah, it's all it's all on the path to hopefully finding wider distribution. You know, getting it on a on a PBS or HBO cool. or, or streaming partner. 
Yeah. And how does that work? Do you are you pitching that at the same time that it's touring, or is there is there sort of a, a process that you go through? Yeah, I mean, it's every it's different. You know, the the the, uh, the ecosystem for documentaries is very different now, and it's in flux. But yeah, I mean, the the whole film fest run. The the goal is to get somebody to see it who who believes in it and wants to see it. You know, distributed widely. So I mean, that's going on while we're while we're also trying to you know make deals. Yeah, in the, in the background, or I guess it, you could say. it seems like documentaries go through cycles. I don't where, know what I don't know what's a documentary anymore. Well, right? right yeah, no, <laughs> nobody watches them, right? Then all of a sudden, oh, uh, everybody watches them. No, no, but but now, man with a plan comes out. You know, like thirty years ago, and people, oh, was that? What is that? And then you have the Aaron, uh, who is the Mer Aaron Hernandez documentary, and sure. then that becomes popular. Well, making a murderer was a, was another yeah. big one. Yeah, yeah, and and then then they, documentaries become kind angle. of very chic, and it's and we have all these streaming services, and there's this demand for content, and it seems like making a documentary these days isn't so much a passion project or something that you know a few people Wait. in a in a coffee house are going to see. There's a potential for this to make major waves and to, and to have a, a large audience mark does it open up with a drone shot it doesn't there's no drone whatsoever oh, wow no well, drone then it's whatsoever. not a documentary because hey, every documentary right? opens there's no talking shot. heads either there's what? not a single talking head My in this goodness. film or a drone shot and i don't know those what were, this those is two then. decisions were very intentional <laughs> but i mean to to your point yeah i mean we we do hope that you know this film makes an impact and that it's seen by as many people but the downside is that there's a glut of documentaries now and, and most of them that are getting the attention and the dollars are about celebrities uh, you know, so it's like publishing now yeah pretty much and it, or it's like another it's a pr sort of thing for somebody's you know to revive somebody's always fledgling career always. or their or their ailing career yeah and yeah. so that you know the films like this the if they break through that that's like that's a huge success and it doesn't happen very often i mean our fingers are crossed and you know we do have the power of the free press behind us um so that we can at least make maximum impact here in this state where you know some of the policies that are talked about in the film are uh are, are addressed like that's ultimately what we're hoping for is that there's 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 a a, a policy called overfamiliarity, and it comes up in the film and i want to just touch on this real quick and it is a really broadly written MDOC policy that basically says that once these guys get out, so like Ernest Davis, right? He's in this program with Chef Hill for 20 years. He's his right-hand man. He, you know, Chef Hill is his mentor. He gets out and is on parole for three years. And in those, or I think it was two years he was on parole. In those two years, he is not allowed to have any contact with Chef Hill. Zero. Because he, Chef Hill is a state employee and he cannot have contact with anyone that's under state supervision. What? Really? So yes. he can't turn to him for help. He can't. That's uh, exactly right. Well, now I imagine there's some rhyme behind that policy, or some reason behind that policy. Like we don't want you to train your next employees, and you become a. I mean, what is the explanation for that? Do they tell you? You know, it's it's very broadly written. Just and and we got um, sort of like dinged for it by the MDOC because we were communicating with guys via JPay while we were going inside. Uh, Every month, and so there's an issue if you're, you know, developing a relationship. There, you know, you could get swayed, and you could come, you know, be a mule. You know, whatever, whatever reasons they are, it's basically so that you can't uh, develop a deep relationship with somebody that then, you know, turns into some way of. Uh, you know, something nefarious, basically. Wow. But, which is kind of ridiculous in Jimmy's sense because he's been working with these guys for 20, some of them for 20 years. Well, you would hope he you could know? get some kind of waiver. Or, you know, <laughs> right, yeah. So, so so that's like, if you know, to make a fine point on it, that's, that's a thing that we are hoping that, 
this film starts a conversation at least around that issue that you know maybe there is some kind of middle ground that we can find to 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 be able to allow Jimmy to to be the mentor that he has been to continue once they're out and are at the you know arguably the most vulnerable point in their transition. So when when I was running for city council, we shot a lot of video because I thought that if I made it or didn't make it, there might be an application for it, either for some biographical stuff or just to tell people what it's like to run for office. And then at the end of the campaign, I didn't have a job and I had all this video and I had, in theory, all this time. And I thought, okay, what's it going to take to make a documentary? And I very quickly realized the I would need to really spend... really didn't want to see it? Well, there was... There I like was, how you made it about you. There was yeah. that. No, I but, just wondered but, if we had a bell for that, we're, too. We're getting, we need a second bell. We're getting... To, sometimes people like to relate their experiences, Sean. But, uh, but what I was getting to is... To do that, yeah, I realized sorry. it would take years of my life to That's do. Sean's contribution for the show with, today. <laughs> sorry, uh, go ahead. Don't hurry next week. <laughs> Not that you hurried this week, but I realized it would take years to do, tons of money, and in the end, no one might want to see it. You spent five years on this. I mean, I know your work, so I know it's going to be gorgeous, but were you trying to change policy? Were you Was this something that you just felt passionately about? Are you hoping to make money off it? Did you know it was going to take five years? I mean, do you get in this thing and start saying to yourself, what the hell? There's no turning back now. I mean, is there a point of no return where you say, I need to do something else, but I'm so close. I mean, I'm, I'm, I left the free press almost two, uh, it's been two years now. And, you know, I continue to work on this film pro bono. I mean, so money, money is not the, is not the driving force here. I mean, a, you, you hope that there's some kind of impact on a policy level, but really it's like, it's, you know, anytime we put something out into the ether, it's, it's a battle for hearts and minds, right? It's like, we got the privilege to tell story from a place that isn't often accessed and, and like to be able to spread that story. And it's so different than the stories that you hear about prison, right? I mean, it's all the stereotypes about prison and what happens and who the people are, are thrown out in this piece. And I just, you know, personally for me, like my mission is to build empathy among people. Like we, we, we suffer from a lack of empathy for each other. Like we don't see the humanity in one another. No, Sean just took a shot at me. I mean, I'm a human being. I'm sitting right across from you. I do have a question. You mentioned the free press. We obviously have a really, really good. Uh, we know food Sean has a question. Critic, it always starts you, with, "I have a question." Where is this going? When are you going to come back? I mean, maybe there's a different role. Um, is is there going to be something to come back? Are you, to? you hiring? Do you hate yeah. Lindsay that I, I, much? You want to push I her out? I just said we have, a, we have a yeah. No, Lindsay Green does a great job, but there are other roles there. Yeah, but I'm I'm pretty happy doing what I'm doing right now. You, you, so. you might be a little happier coming back. <laughs> well, you know, make me an offer, Sean. And so, <laughs> so Mark, he's, the, he's, the, me, he's the guy over let, there. Let so. me explain to you how this works. Unless you're as unhappy and stuck where you are as Sean, you're not reaching your full potential. <laughs> he wants to drag everybody. He's like the guys who dragged Michael Corleone back and mm-hmm. killed the Pope. Yeah, let's go back to that empathy right. thing, guys. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Oh, maybe this is the documentary. Can you come back to us in five years and let us know how this turns out? Yeah, right. The, yeah. We're the, starting the, right now. Whole Detroit podcast now, documentary. When, when you're doing so a docu- clearly, this means a lot to you because you made yeah. a huge sacrifice of time, of of financial sacrifice. I mean, yeah. So I mean, first and foremost, this is a story that you feel it. You need to tell. 
Yeah, I mean, I think this is a story that needs to be told. And I don't want to say, like, I'm, I, you know, this isn't, I'm not telling it. Also, I have, you know, a brilliant co-director, Brian Kaufman, who's the executive video producer at, at the Free Press. We have, you know, Desiree Vincent Levy. Sean. We've got we've got a lot of great people on this, on this film. It's not a, you know, a, the director gets a lot of attention, but this is a team effort, and it, it has been. Um, and so, like, to contribute to it has been an honor. But also, like, I just, this the work that Jimmy's doing is, like, it, it is... Um, if we get more people like him, if we get people to understand a what goes on, uh, and then we get more people like Jimmy into the system, like maybe it'll be a more humane system. And you know what? Maybe like we will have less people locked up for. The thing is, like the way that 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 our system has been set up is like we are we are all complicit in it. Like we all pay taxes. This is a public system that that, and yet we don't know what goes on in most of these facilities, right? I mean, we just learned about. Um, how the you know the the inmates have to line up in the in the rain for their medications. I mean, yeah. and the MDOC is is historically very opaque. So the fact that we got a little a little bit of light into this little corner of the place, and yeah, it's a it's a good PR thing for them because this program really is amazing. Um, but like, so let's make a lot more of these programs, and let's make this the standard. You know what I mean? Of of what guys who are coming from a lot of structural issues in their lives. You know I mean? It's, it's poverty that's driving a lot of, a lot of the, 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 you know, the body counts in the prisons, you know what I mean? And so, um, I don't know. I just thought it was, yeah, it's, it's something that like, this is a vehicle for change. It's a vehicle for empathy, uh, compassion for, for changing the narrative for even just like, if somebody sees it and says, Oh, I always thought that, you know, guys in prison are horrible and, and have no, what do you think you know, Oz? there's or, no, you know, you yeah, know, exactly. There's, show or, there's yeah. no redemption. It's like, well, what, what's the point then? You know what I mean? There has to be a point to this. And not, Otherwise, like, and not all prisoners doing? are the same because not, exactly right. not all crimes are the same. Either, right. So it doesn't mean you're letting out, you know, dangerous pedophiles or murderers. Right. But, yeah. Um, but when doing a documentary, you still have to tell a story, right? Yeah. You still need conflict. Do you have, yeah, I mean, you got to have that in this film, right? Are there guys that think they're going to get out and then something happens and are you able to get footage from inside the prison outside of the kitchen? There's, well, we, we were in the prison. We didn't have a lot of leeway. I mean, that was, that was sort of the, um, the access negotiation was like, we could shoot inside the kitchen and we could shoot in the garden. But, um, you know, two of our guys get out. And so it's not like prison. That's the thing is like, it doesn't end once you're out. You know, a lot of those challenges. So the conflict is reentering. Yeah. I mean, that transition yeah. reentry is not easy. The system isn't set up to make it easy. And there's a lot of challenges there. I mean, there's a lot of, there's, I think that the film, you know, and, and you'll be the judge once you see it, but like it has, it has moments of levity. Like it's not, this isn't like a dour talking sure. head, like policy film either. I'm talking policy now, but, but there's barely any policy at all in the film. It's a, it's a film about humans who have to, who have to go through like some really challenging things and some of the most challenging things that they've ever been through in their lives. So there's well, certainly, anytime you can put a camera in a kitchen, there's going to get action. Yeah. I mean, there, there's, yeah. there's conflict, there's, um, there's humor, there's drama, there's tears, you know, I mean, there's, there's the whole range of human well, emotions. I mean, we, we set out to tell a human story. People first can say what they want to say about prisoners, but they each have very interesting stories and sad stories. They're humans. Good, yeah. But they've lived a life of, you know, good and bad. Right. Sure. Sure. I don't know. Sean. Sounds like the soul of Detroit. I'm I'm just glad there's a show about cooking that, that doesn't involve some English dick yelling at people. I mean, that's <laughs> going to be refreshing. I'm wondering to get into this program. Do you have to be incarcerated? Yes. Because Sean really likes cooking. 
I knew that. You gotta I, I knew that that's where <laughs> just was wondering if there's any way he could maybe you ever could see him happier, more happy than <laughs> very, when he's very, very proud. When he's finding uh, his way to uh, shank me. The, so to the, speak. The, 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 the thought of Sean with one hour in the yard, I kind of like that. That that I spent a night in jail, but that probably doesn't count, does it? Uh, I don't know. There's all kinds of jails. There's one in your own heart sometimes. It's very really? empathy. Empathy. That's a new word for you, but yeah, we well, can believe me. I I know there's a lot of other guys from Coldwater who are at Harper and Connor who are not running a restaurant. Spend a little so less time thinking about Zeitgeist and a little more time thinking about empathy. <laughs> okay, I think we filled that time. Um, hey, Col- Mark, Col- t- oh, go ahead. T- tell people again how they can find out more about this. I'm sure you have a website. There's a place they can go. Yeah, you, um, you can go to coldwaterkitchen.film. So not .com, coldwaterkitchen.film for more info about the film itself. Uh, for info about the Michigan premiere, they can go to freepfilmfestival.com. And that'll have all the um, all the information about the, the April 26th premiere at the DFT. We're also doing um, a, a dinner and a movie event at Frame, which is where I work now as the editorial director. And so we're actually having Jimmy and two of the guys from the film are going to be cooking dinner. And then we're screening the film in, in our tent, too. So it's like a very immersive experience that we've got a few tickets left for that too that's cool and will will you have a a panel after the film will people get to meet the guys and come meet you and some of the crew that's right yeah we'll have a panel after after the premiere yeah so the freep film festival is coming up folks if you don't know about this go to freep.com look at look at some of the stuff we'll have as the freep film festival is coming up we'll be talking more about that this is something that started 10 years ago and at the time i thought boy the photographers really pulled something over on the bosses they can put out a little movie show and now I think it's probably more profitable than the whole damn newspaper. It's uh, it's pretty amazing. And some of the films you see are are big time movies. They are great stuff. There was a I I got to MC a panel on the, the Mike uh, Wallace documentary several years ago. It was a friggin' great documentary. There's just some great stuff there. So please check out Mark Curlyhanchik. What he's doing. Mark, do you have a Twitter handle or some social media you want to share with people? I'm pretty much curly handshake everywhere i go okay so curly handshake we'll have a link to the free film festival on our website so mark thanks for coming in yeah thank you. Five appreciate years. you guys yeah it is pretty awesome thank hopefully you. this even is where it turns from a passion project to a lucrative project i mean even if not you know again if if there's some kind of actual impact on a on a policy level or you know a positive impact on these guys lives that's 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 good for me Okay, so if you have money, don't call Mark. Just like, <laughs> well, I got it. He, you are a documentary yeah, filmmaker. Right? Yeah. yeah, I'm going to be poet did, laureate next. Did you picture <laughs> that? Did pays, you, but they just hired somebody. Unfortunately, did you pitch your newsletter yet? Your your blog, your whatever. I'm not sure what you'd like to call it. You still write about food. Um, not very much, actually. I'm doing a lot more like food programming these days. You're so. not writing at all? Yeah, a little bit here and Telling there. Telling people where to go. I see it occasionally here and there. I write for Resi um, monthly, but it's you know, that's kind of a thing just to keep my toes in the okay. in the scene. But yeah, over at Frame in Hazel Park, I do a lot of, um, you know, we have we have chefs that rotate. So it's, we have like a chef residency program and pop-ups and we do a lot of storytelling around that. It's like, a, I like to call it a food magazine that you experience in person. So that's, that's nice. where you can see my work these days. Kind of like the modern scratch and sniff. No? Said no one. Yeah, sorry. Okay. I, I, I knew I went too long there. Mark, thanks again for coming in. Thanks, guys. And uh, check out the Freep Film Festival. Uh, before we hit our Geek of the Week, I want to tell you a little bit about the Cadu Cafe. They're uh, the pride of the east side, a great place to go seven days a week. The kitchen, speaking of food, is open till midnight every night except for Sunday when it closes at 10 o'clock. Tonight, 
Uh, no, sorry. Tomorrow night is karaoke. Thursday, Blues Thursday. Friday, J.C. Whiteclaw and the Disciples and Slowfoot. Saturday, they've got four bands. So if you want to find out about those bands, go to kajucafe.com. Sunday, elect Eric Eric Goebel's... Oh, God, my, my writing is so terrible. Eric Goebel's <laughs> Sunday Funday Jam and James O'Donnell's East Side Rhythm... Something or other. Um, and uh, you can find that. Uh, just go to their website. Yeah. And, and of course, Monday is their open jam and muscle madness. The Cadu Cafe, C A D I E U X, C A F E dot com. Check them out. And, uh, and if you go there and you see me there, why don't you send over a beer or something free? Because that'd be nice. I must have missed you on Wednesday. I was there too. Uh, I got there kind of late because I knew the kitchen would be open late. And uh, this is August Gitchleg. If you don't know August, he's been on this show before. He is involved in many, many, many fun endeavors. Uh, Tracksuit uh, 9 is one of them. There's, of course, the, uh, the Magnum party. Last time which I was here, a, was Magnum 9. Yeah. Yes, over the summer. And, and that tracksuit could qualify for both. This is last year's uh, tracksuit find. I do have the matching pants. They are as obnoxious. Uh, I don't know how to describe that for people listening. Uh, yes. It's called Hot Fire, Mark. Hot Fire. Hot Fire. You see tiger, tiger head, Bengal tiger heads. Uh, Tigers and roses. It's and the uh, August and, exotic look. It's, I mean. a, it's a hit at opening day, <laughs> and uh, I go to the spring tiger games. So if you're watching us on YouTube or on Facebook, you can see August is wearing, he's resplendent in a tracksuit. I actually where like the stripes. Where do you get that? So th this comes from G-Style USA. Uh, it's where a bunch of us got our tracksuits. I have a fresh tiger-themed one that'll be revealed on uh, Friday night, or Saturday night, Saturday night, April 22nd, at the tracksuit party at uh, Whiskey in the Jar in, uh, in Ham beautiful Hamtramck, Michigan. And this is, so this isn't vintage. Wow. They're producing no. these as we speak. Yes. There are children in Bangladesh who have made this. Probably, yes. I got to tell you, if you think that jacket's uh, loud and unique, the website has one no, that's louder. They're killer. Yeah, they're pretty cool. And they're 60 bucks. I don't think I could pull it and off. And I'm not getting paid to promote these guys. I just have a good product. <laughs> it's, it's affordable and it comes quick. So, so I'm, I'm boring. When I go, I, I wear what I call Run MLE. It's just a, a black Adidas track suit and a pork pie hat. Perfectly it's, fine. It's, it's sort of, uh, it's sort of uh, I guess I would say, a, uh, a Hollis tuxedo. Well, I'll, I'll say eight years ago, you know, nine, well, geez, we missed two tracksuits because of COVID. So 12 years ago when we started this, you could go to a resale shop and buy a tracksuit. You could buy a Fila or a Reebok or a Nike. Now these people are flying in there every morning to see what's on the shelves to sell on Etsy for 400 bucks. Oh, yeah. You're not finding a vintage tracksuit anymore. We used to be, we used to have a whole bunch of them. Right. And we wish we hadn't, like we'd, we'd wear one and then the next year we'd raffle it off at the raffle and make some money for the charity. We stopped doing that because these things are too valuable now. So uh, we kind of hang on to them. But uh, so can you still get velour? What's that? Yeah. Can you still get velour tracksuits? Yes. Yeah, yeah yes. they have a camo velour one. I'm looking at it. Yes. Right. Okay. Fila awesome. still does a whole velour line. You want me to order it for didn't, you? Didn't Tony Soprano wear velour occasionally? Or, I don't, I don't or is know, it just maybe more of an Adidas? It, we've learned that the velour tracksuits at this party get real warm. Oh, get real yeah. warm oh, real yeah. fast. Yeah. Yeah. Could you kill yourself by getting out of your car in a velour tracksuit and then touching the tank? You know, like how they say you should Static. tap something oh, yeah, to just yeah. like you're like when you used to wear corduroys, you have that, and then you'd touch a doorknob or something. Like, ah! Because you were generating energy. Velour has got to be even worse than corduroy because there's no ridges. It's just I had, all. Uh, I had this wonderful puma, flavor country. A wonderful green velour puma. I think I wore for the third or fourth tracksuit party, and <laughs> I would wear it every Sunday in the wintertime. It was just so comfortable. And then uh, I was living in St. Croix Shores, and my roommate was dating a, a, a not the best person, and her and her real boyfriend robbed the house. 
Oh. And one of the things they stole was my laundry basket full of clothes, including my green velour tracksuit. I hope they were dirty. So Sinclair Shorts, they were clean. Oh. Sinclair Shorts police calls me a couple of days later. They caught the guy. We kind of knew who it was, right? And they're going through the list of things that they found. I'm like, please have my velour tracksuit. Please have my, I'm like, they're going through it. I'm like, no, no, no. I don't have a shaving kit. No, I don't have that. I don't have that. And I, I finally go, was there a green velour Puma tracksuit? She goes, oh, that's what he was wearing when we arrested him. Oh, like, Damn it! Nice. <laughs> I'm not getting that back. <laughs> well, didn't didn't he trade it in for a jumpsuit? I mean, wouldn't no, he put that? I didn't want it then. <laughs> really? He didn't get that bag with the Swedish penis enlarged. Sure he can have he it. Checked out. He needs it more than I do. Oh shit! So so who benefits from this? Who's the the? So this one, uh, like the, the Magnum party we did in the, in the summertime, that all goes to local cancer charities. This one is earmarked for Hamtramck. It goes to the Detroit Friendship House, which is a food pantry in town. It's been there for over 100 years. It's one of the oldest uh, nonprofits in the state of Michigan, actually. And uh, it only serves 48212 residents. Okay. And I'm on the board of directors there. I have been for about five, six years. And that's when we locked it in that this this project will always benefit. The tracks the, the tracks of party will always benefit the Friendship House. So this is a great event. It's at Whiskey in the Jar. It's going to be shoulder to shoulder. People wearing some outrageous gear. A great DJ. If it's yeah, the same Tom guy T. Have, Tom T. Yeah. is DJing. Yeah, and we have the outdoor patio open. So if it does get a little warm, you can uh, always step outside and cool off a little bit. And you also have some raffles and some other fundraisers yes, throughout we, the night. We so. do. We have raffle off big screen TVs. We have gift cards to so many local uh, restaurants, including our friends at Cadre Cafe. Gave me a bunch oh, of yeah. gift cards. Uh, the Charlevoix. Uh, Pat O'Brien's uh, Firebird Tavern downtown. So you have booze baskets. There's usually yeah, some well, sports yeah. baskets, DCFC yeah. stuff, Tiger yep. tickets. DCFC stepped up with a bunch of tickets yeah. and scarves. Uh, we got Michigan tickets. We've got uh, all Michigan kinds of Panthers. Stuff. You can play on the team <laughs> if you win the raffle. And one and oh, baby. <laughs> Next year. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of tickets for the May 4th game. So if you're a Star Wars fan, there's a whole bunch of May the 4th Be With You tickets available, which is also against the Mets, and we bought tickets for that anyway, just in case we might get Verlander or Scherzer. Yeah. Yeah. It's a Thursday day game, which is kind of cool. Oh, wow. So okay. we got like uh, four or five sets of tickets for that that were donated by people. So. so August, where can people go find out more about this? All of this is all over Facebook, and I already emailed you all the stuff, so it's on your email. <laughs> your, we'll uh, put it on the The site. logos and the... And the uh, Blake's Hard Cider has been a sponsor of our events for like the last three, four years. They've come through just great. So they, it's Blake's Hard Cider presents Tracksuit 9 at Whiskey in the Jar. Okay, and that is Saturday, August, or April. April. Yes, April. April. Sorry, I'm, I'm a, once yeah. again ahead of my time. April 22nd in Hamtramck. So go out there, support a good cause, have some fun, and there's still time to get yourself a tracksuit. Yeah, you get time to get a tracksuit. We we are selling the shirts with the logos again too, with okay. the uh, the great logos you'll see when they put all that stuff up. So okay, that's and how we raise the money. It's a it's a great night with some great folks. So catch August behind the bar. He'll probably get out on the dance floor. I'll be on the dance floor the whole time. I retired from bartending there. Oh, you did? Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm holding court out front now. Oh, now that may be a distance center. At least when he was behind the bar, you felt safe. Uh, Mikey and Conrad, my co-conspirators in this thing that we created this together uh, years ago, they they'll be back there. Okay, so check out August at Whiskey in the Jar in April on the 22nd, Saturday night, uh, Tracksuit 9. Thank you guys. Twelve years for a good cause. Nine. Twelve, yeah, twelve. It's, there's yeah, a lot, of, there's a couple. lot of weird COVID explanations yeah. out yeah, there. I missed right? a couple. Yeah, it so. should be like eleven, I think. So okay. The first one was unofficial. We just said we're going to wear tracksuits to the bar and put it on Facebook, and people showed up to see us in tracksuits. And we said we should just do this <laughs> in, for an official party. We really were joking around. That's a People good like, thing. We wanted you to see the, your velour tracksuit. Okay. Went with the tracksuits and not the speedos. Right. Well, that's yeah. speedo one. We'll put you a celebrity that's bartender it. that one for us. Yeah. Let me tell you. Want to? You want to hurt charities? Put me in anything that doesn't include <laughs> head to toe coverage. But uh, but I'm working on it. I'm, I'm trying to improve myself. Aren't we all? It's a lifelong pro program. 
But uh, so thanks, August. Um, Mark, I'm perfect. When huh? What? What's going on? I I, I uh, just want to see how you're doing over there. Doing great. Oh man, the geeks have inherited the earth. Did I do that? What a dork! Does him wanting to play with us again mean that he's turning into a geek, or we're turning into cool guys? This week, George Santos, the lying congressman from Long Island, announced that he's running for re-election. Or is he? Sorry, it's kind of a high-concept geek. That was it. That's it? Well, we need to save some time. But yeah, I mean, is he lying about it? I mean, we don't know what he's doing. Oh, I like that. I like that. Brevity. There you go. (laughs) What's next? (laughs) There we go. Come on. That was your cue, Mark. Oh, I got it. See you again. I thought there was going to be more. Never. That's uh, that's what they said when I was in the Speedo party. I thought there's going to be more. I said, well, it is cold in here. So, George Santos, you are our Geek of the Week. I think that's what we're waiting for. Um... As you know, we are asking you to send us some some of your non-new wave favorites that have some new wave DNA. This week, great suggestion, Ava Max, Born to the Night. This is a double new wave derivative, so check it out. And at the end, we're going to see if the Solar Detroit crew can figure out who I'm talking about or what I'm talking about. Always a good question in here. Ava?
so Sean, do you know which new wave tune was featured in in Ava Max's "Born to the Night"? Yeah, that's great. We're Cyrus. <laughs> that's what he would say. He's using the facilities right now. Hey, you got you got any you got any more of that uh, paper and fire from uh, John Mellencamp? I can only recognize one new wave song in there. Which, which by the way, that song blue. I did not like that song one bit. It, it was not great. The best thing that's about why I never heard it on the radio. Yeah. <laughs> best thing about it is what it's. But this thing still has like four million views. Yeah, it's still Eva Max. It's just like a huge hit. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I know. It's huge. It doesn't mean it's, uh, it doesn't suck. So, August, did you know yeah. which newest tune? Okay. One of them, yeah. Okay, write it down. Fold it in a piece of paper. Mark, know, did you know? I don't know the name of it, but I know the song. Okay. Because like August? I said, there's a karaoke connection yeah. to it. Okay. okay, give it to us, August. Major Tom. Major Tom by Peter Schilling. But here's why it's a double new wave dip. Because Major Tom by Peter Schilling is the response to David Bowie's Space Oddity. Well, yeah. I mean, does that count as a double dip? I mean, everybody knows that. I thought you said there was another new wave song. <laughs> yeah, I was looking for another new D- wave song. David Bowie! The, oh, okay. the, the Thin Oddity. White Duke, yeah, one, a, of the, one of the kings of new age. Space Oddity oh, is new not, wave. That's not new wave. I don't know. But there's a lot of David Bowie's new wave. I yeah, think. but that song isn't. But it, I mean, he did. He changed with the time. So yeah, he does have new wave stuff, but not something put out in 1969. Well, I, I thought mm. I came up with something fun for the group. Well, no. Yeah, it, it was, was kind of fun for the group. Yeah, great. I, I wish that guy from the prison chef program was here. He'd, he'd make me feel better. It was great, yeah. He'd, he'd nice give me a hug, song. but I couldn't touch any of the knives. Oh, Sean is back. He is back. How was it? You, you played a pop, pop song. So there you go. Yeah, you're expanding. So that song. Sean was doing his new wave segment uh, with his favorite NASCAR driver. Do you know which one? I know. Dick Trickle. <laughs> I knew where you were going. Oh, I, no, I just. Is that, is I was that where gonna say Willie T. Ribs, but I guess if you're Willie gonna take T. it, Ribs. boy, that is a reference. Tr- tr- trickle, <laughs> trickle is the is the word there for sure. Yeah, sure, great. You want to explore that? No, I think that says plenty. But the um, Major Tom song, you're not there yet. Has been. I'm close. Uh, the Major Tom. I don't know what I'm talking about. Four, three, two, one. So I just pulled it up because I know that's been used in so many things. And the first one I thought of, and yes, you watch Breaking Bad, right? I, no, I, no I just found out season six of Better Call Saul is going to be on Netflix, so I will get caught up. Oh, my God. You, you didn't watch Breaking Bad? No. I didn't either. I didn't, no. have, I didn't have cable back then. Oh, okay. Well, never mind. No, 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 no. no. It, television? it was too close to The Sopranos. What? Breaking Bad? Yeah, you, you needed to let uh, The Sopranos marinate a little bit. I'm, talking I'm, about? I'm not talking about in theme, although maybe a little, but I'm talking more about in time. I felt it was very autobiographical because I, I financed myself during the city council campaign by cooking meth. Is that in that documentary footage that you have? You know, you together? So that's my man right there. He wants to see this. This is something he'll stand in line for. The rest of you guys, you don't know culture at well, all. Basically, if Major Tom's in a show, though, I think it's going to be a good one because the Breaking Bad scene is a very famous one where one of the chemists is yeah, singing, it's clearly famous. Is singing karaoke. You guys didn't see one the show. One out of four people in this have a very good budget. Room. Means Break- they have a budget. <laughs> they can afford that song. You're, you're, you're have you ever right. done meth, by the way? So what? Mike. Oh. Uh, no, but there's you've a, cooked it. But I mean, have you used it? There's a meth to my madness. And That's not that you need meth. I'm the one that probably does. I guess. You know, we, we had a guy who was doing um, odd jobs at one of our houses in East Lansing, and nice guy did a great job. Because he was on meth? Well, no. and, and uh, on time. And I, I asked Chief, I said, how do you find this guy? He said, well, he had a little post-it on the board at Lowe's, and I said, 
why don't we just run him through Otis, which is the offender tracking information system. And he popped up and she goes, oh yeah, he was in there for controlled substances. Well, that explains the teeth. She had these jacked up choppers and I'm sure his well, thing see, he's was trying he, to reacclimate to society. He has, no, he, and well then that, so, so she said, well, we can never hire him again. I said, no, no, no. I said, we can't not help people who've got out. He's trying to put his life together. So he gets out and we're going to say, you do a great job. We can't let you do a great job because you're inside. So she's like, okay, that makes sense. But we decided, okay, we'll never hire him to work if the tenants are there, and we'll never hire him to work if one of our girls is there alone. Yeah, because isn't that what got, um, uh, what was the kidnapped? Elizabeth Smart, right? They hired somebody. Oh. The Brian Mitchell guy. Oh, shit, now you tell me. Went into the house. Good memory. Anyway, no. But this guy was great, but then all of a sudden he stopped returning calls, so we think he may have fallen off the wagon. But the empathy you showed. That's that's yeah. He did work unusual. Pretty, he did work pretty cheap. Did so. you just say unusual? What? No. <laughs> what did you hear what he just said? <laughs> What's going on? He said unusual. One of those that didn't hear it. He always does that. Unusual. What? Mm. What? What? What's going on? I don't know huh. what you're talking about. This, this is such a hurtful. Did you ever watch the Americans? Hurtful show. I did watch that one. Okay. Did you watch no. the Amer? Did you watch the Americans? No, there's no way in hell he did. No, but I'm going to oh start God, because is, I really that like is, that dude who's in Perry Mason, who I understand was the right. big guy the in guy. the American. But yeah. but that uh, that's one of the best shows. It's fantastic. Period. Definitely top five. That also used that song to the Major Tom song. It's a it's a great tune. It's it's got a lot going on. It's it's very cool. It's not exactly like Mike Max Pro Cop music, but it's it's pretty damn good. But uh, no, I'm I'm uh, my big thing now is I started to rewatch Justified and I'm almost done with the second pass, and I'm in season four of Succession and I've been thinking about the thing. I don't watch that either. I can't oh, watch it. Great. I I gave I up hate on everybody it. on it. I can't I, well, watch it. That's anymore. funny. I gave up on it we, about we, three episodes. We watched fifteen minutes of it, and my wife said, uh, "No." Well, I let, hate every character. Let, hate them all. Let me uh, tell you what, and that's true. That's the one show where you don't feel bad when something bad happens to anybody because there's nobody to cheer for. There's no redeemable characters. <laughs> Although they had a big uh, death, right, recently. And oh, spoiler, spoiler alert. alert. Spoiler, spoiler alert. But, I have yeah. no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and some, and a lot, I heard a lot of people saying this is somebody I've never liked, but I actually got a little weepy when it happened. Yeah, so, well, the, the, so maybe if you stick with the show, there's... Well, without ruining it for people who aren't watching it yet, episode three... The thing that's impressive about this is this show is expected, to, and this is the last season it has been announced. It's going to go nine or 11 episodes, whatever it is, but somebody dies in episode three that you figure is going to die at the end. And so it's kind of remarkable to take a main character out of the show this early in its last season, which I think is really bold. But I was thinking about this this morning in the shower about succession, and there's parts in it where the patriarch... I think he loves his kids, but he also hates his kids because they're kind of spoiled because he's given them so much and they're trying to take things from him. And so there's this, there's this crazy dynamic, but I started thinking about it and I, I don't think that the, 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 the writer conceived this, but it's almost like an allegory about millennials. Like we have this hostility towards our kids sometimes because we feel like we've given you so much and you're still complaining and that's kind of what the main character, Logan Roy, who's kind of modeled on Rupert Murdoch, does. He's given his kids everything, and when they try and take more or they want to take some of the business, he tells them, you're not serious people. You're not real people. You're too soft. And they have all these complaints and all these grievances, and so you don't, you don't really like them. You don't really like him. But what really struck me was his whole thing is, I fought for everything I have. 
I had to do things that no one should have to do. I've become a miserable person to achieve all this, and I've given you so much, and all you do is bitch and complain and fight and backbite. And I thought, oh, my God, this is an allegory for our times where we feel like we've given our kids everything, and why can't they be happy? And I thought, holy shit, secession is... What what are they what are they missing though? Well, they want to take over the company. No, 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 no. What's this main character missing? I, I haven't seen the show, so I don't want to speculate too much. But so often, what's the thing they're not given? They're given the money and everything else. What are they not given? Well, love, love, and time. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's- we, we had a we have a, a fairly prominent political figure who probably didn't get enough love from his pops. Right. You mean Mr. Jump? Yep. Oh. But but the now, so- and you've, we've read that right. I mean you, that. So, yeah. so the difference, I guess, I would draw between the Roy family and, and other families is I think people do talk more about their feelings and they do express love more than maybe in the past. But but yeah, I mean, and throughout the whole show, in, in fact, the opening montage, which is amazing, is it shows all the kids and then the dad's with them and then they'll get together for a family photograph and the dad walks away and he's walking all by himself and the kids kind of look like where is he but they're on they're on horses they're you know on yachts and they're getting into helicopters I don't, it just really struck me that 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 is kind of a bitch that we have is you know boy we've given our kids so much we had so little and maybe that maybe that's every generation says so that. does that mean you have hbo right now it means somebody I know. Oh, oh so you're part. Hey, real quickly, since we're at this time of the show, that's my kid. I'm just surprised you haven't watched Barry yet. Oh, uh, you know, I watched the first season. What about- and when, he, when he killed the cop, I stopped watching it. But now I'm what? seeing all these ads for him being in you. prison, and I'm going to start watching again because whenever Henley, when you've done don't, something don't that pisses off it. Henley Winkler. It must be good. What right? about beef? Has anybody watched beef? No. That's on my list. That's the only show I actually want to watch besides Miss Maisel. Yeah, right yeah, I'd like to see that too. I have not Marvelous Miss Maisel is amazing. I haven't seen that. Yeah. Last Dropped season. the new season. No, be- season beef is season. beef is sort of incredible. Really? It's getting all the buzz all I over the place. Watched the trailer and I was like, mm. So Beef is the main character in a much underappreciated rock opera called Phantom of the Paradise by Brian De Palma. <laughs> What? Paid, played by Garrett Graham, but he's hilarious. Well, there's a, there's a. Is it anything like that? No, there's okay. a <laughs> character. In, I figured there was a low percentage. There's play. A, it's just interesting too. Speaking of the sign of our times, there's a character in Beef who's played by an actor who's sort of an artist. His name is Danny Cho. Probably all the characters are played and, by actors, uh, right? In a film. With the popularity of Beef and the buzz, all of a sudden, there's a video of him on a podcast from 2014. I want to say that's resurfaced where he's talking about how he basically sexually assaulted somebody he later went back and recanted said no that was part of his art he was just joking but uh, it's caused this really interesting sort of spot for netflix who's trying to distance themselves because they have this big hit on those uh, on their hands but yeah no it's nine years ago wait 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 uh, the the character said this on a podcast or the actor the actor the actor actor, character who's sort of an edgy he's a painter and sort of mixed media arts he's been he was a prominent one of the bourdain's episodes when he was in la talking about korean food he's korean korean american okay uh anyway yeah you just be careful what you say in the podcast <laughs> yeah because you never know 10 years from well now. i remember telling somebody about that in 2021 <laughs> <laughs> just like my kids 20 years later when it's no damn good like you know what you might have been right like, well, now I'm living in an alley. But uh, but thank you, Sean. I appreciate that reflected wisdom. Um, we want to thank our donors. You can support this show, Mark. Um, 
MLSolaDetroit.com. There's a little donate button. Oh, no, I was asking if oh, I could borrow some money sure. to support the show. But yeah, if you want to support us out there listening, you can you can support us by going to MLSolaDetroit.com. This week, we only had one donation, but it was a considerable donation from someone who has generously supported this show time and time again. That is Nancy, who made a uh, a gracious gift and left us a one-word comment. Service. Oh, well, thank you. Think about that. That's great. <laughs> Nancy, he knows not what he says. Um, That's some, great. Some, <laughs> very kind. Uh, speaking of which, I still got to pay you guys for this month, so I, I promise Sorry, that some of this will trickle no, down. No, no, keep, keep keeping all those gifts to yourself. That's uh, very kind of, of... Speaking of gifts, uh, Max Prokop has made us the gift of music, which we like to play during our feedback, and if we go long, we have a new piece of music from Max that we should be playing. Uh, we played it once during our 200th episode. Max came on and talked about it. If you've missed our 200th episode, our milestone episode, where we take on the power company, and so far they haven't cut the light, so that's cool. Check that out. But uh, we, have some, uh, we have some comments here. Uh, this is an old one, and I missed, and I apologize. For those of you who listen to us or watch us on YouTube. How old? Holly writes of our... Uh, of our 200th episode. Love this episode. Great guest. That was when we had Keith Matheny of the Free Press. But you guys desperately need a female's perspective on this pod. If I donate, would that happen? Well, we have had women on this show from time to time. Claire Henriksen from the Free Press was here today. But we do like to have more women on this show. So, Holly, uh, put your money where your mouth is, and we will try and get some more X's and X's to go with the X's and Y's, and we put together our X's and O's, which is what we call it when we plan the show. And they're looking for a poet laureate. He's sitting right here, and we'll work a lot less cheaply. So what do you prefer, Mark, when he says I or when he talks in the third person? Oh, I... As he's talking about himself. I'm not a fan of third person. Okay. Just curious, because the third person wasn't so bad there. ML is sorry. That's a Jew and Mike. Sean, do you have any feedback for us? Unfortunately, uh, do I really have to read this? I'll read because it. Because it starts read. off with uh, Mr. Elric. This is, I mean, what else, right? Somebody has talked to our chief of protocol. All right, that it's is cut off here a little bit, but uh, it's cut off a little bit. I'll do the best I can. Uh, something Mr. Elric. There's this brilliant report at the Free Press, uh, Mrs. Baldus. She's written a couple of doozies on Flint in recent months. Have you thought of putting your investigator reporter hat on, stopping for lunch at downtown Clarkston? Something has fantastic tacos. And then going another few miles up, north 75 to poke around Flint City Hall. Sounds like a target-rich environment for a bloodhound such as yourself. Take care, Lisa. Thank you, Lisa. Is there there more from Lisa there about the superlative Ms. Baldus? No, that was it. It's short, just a few sentences. So she, Ms. Baldus, along with every other, well, no, let me let me think how I want to put this. Ms. Baldus won a Wade McCree Journalism Award, and all the other Wade McCree Journalism Awards were won by Free Press reporters. That's what Hot I'm saying. Hot dog. Free Press sweep on the Wade McCree Awards. And there's no shame. <laughs> and the, by the way, that award that's was named for the yeah, man's for father. Yeah. No, that's it was awesome. named I knew for it was. his father. I, I answered the question. But the trophy is a naked on man. On your behalf. <laughs> so we can get So going. that's weird. That's weird. I think I'll go ahead and do that. <laughs> Thank that? you, Lisa. Yes, he's a great reporter. Mrs. Baldus is a great reporter. And he may someday poke around Flint. All right. I thought who's, you were going to say poke around Ms. Baldus. That was 
going to be incredibly inappropriate. <laughs> oh, no. Thank you. I'll leave that to you. Thank you for keeping it. Yes, please. Nobody else poke around. It's going to be it's fighting words. Uh, Mark, any 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 uh, sober cats come in over the uh, transom? I don't know what that word means, um, but here's one, and the subject is Figer, which you know segues nicely into that article that you wrote the paper on Sunday. Was that this one is was? the new Max. yeah, good piece. What's next? Um, Chelsea writes in number one. I'm sure you're fed a lot. You and of- me in the parking lot. That's what's next. <laughs> I'm sure you're fed a lot of valid scoops and ignore Ooh. most of them. So who fed you that Figer story and what made you burn weeks on it? Do you care that it was likely an enemy or competitor of his, Mike Morse? Question mark. I don't know how they know that. Number two, why is the health of some lawyer news if someone got their hands on famous, in quotes, Mr. Elric's medical records and life insurance policy? Would that be news? Sorry, I read the piece and it was entertaining, I guess, but I'm on the fence on whether or not it was valid news or fit for sleazy tabloid or unbecoming of a serious watchdog. Does anyone care if a clever lawyer got one over on a London insurer? They eagerly took his fat premiums, lay with dogs, and you get fleas, right? I don't see the harm and it feels like borderline bullying if he's now in serious decline after the stroke. My dad was never the same after his and died a few years after his stroke. Well, that's, that's Great sad. reading. I hope that doesn't sound mean-spirited. Just, oh, there's cu- more. just curious to hear the journalistic thought process behind this. Did it generate more clicks than usual and you needed to get them numbers up? Mark, will you answer that, please, for Mike? Which part? The whole thing. Oh, I think it was a. I think it was newsworthy. <laughs> so it, a very rich, you know, lawyer, Figer, very rich so and famous. You go. But it seems like he's violating the insurance uh, claim because he wants what sixteen million ml. He he said he was entitled to sixteen million dollars because his his heart disease made him no longer. He became an uh, office lawyer, able not a trial to lawyer. yeah to try cases in court to to do the very high stress job that comes with getting in front of a judge and jury and fighting for. Your clients. So to to go over my medical records, you're going to see three things in there. One, LASIK. Two, high cholesterol. Three, not a candidate for enlargement surgery. Those are the three things you're going to find in there. <laughs> okay. We got Sean. Sean is speechless, which is actually not uncommon. Whoa, but this, just, this time he's actually trying to say something. I was just trying in my mind, trying to figure out how's he going to talk about his penis in number three. And so, yeah. All right. No, 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 no. I've, I've always felt like. Uh, no, people, seriously. I knew it was people, coming. No, no. People think I'm taller than I am. And so I wanted to see if I could be yeah, taller. Yeah, exactly. Well, look at the time, guys. Yeah. I got to get back <laughs> to the city hall over there in Clawson. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah. well, before they change the locks. <laughs> right. Um, so, so here's he the. He didn't get his medical record. I'm like, I'm trying to reread the article. I don't remember you having his medical records. I thought most of it came from the filings. Well, there were. Good man. Uh, there were some uh, some records in there where he filled out forms for the insurer yeah. that disclosed uh, his things that would otherwise be private. But he filed the lawsuit. He put them into the public domain, so you know they were there for the taking. Um, I'll tell you how I found out about this. Somebody had mentioned to me that Jeff Figer had filed a disability lawsuit claiming that he couldn't practice law. Well, we all see his commercials on the air nonstop. And I thought, well, that seems kind of weird because it sure looks like he's practicing law. So I plan to try and dig up that lawsuit. It's in another state. I don't know why it was filed in another state, but it was. But I will say, I mean, doing an ad doesn't mean he's practicing law. I mean, that could be just his firm. 
Right, but I mean, it's just one of these things. If Jeff Figer says, I can't practice law anymore, but he's saying, I'll fight for you, that's something worth checking out. Well, then in the meantime, he has this stroke, and it's like, oh, my God, you know, that's that's terrible. So so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig into those records. And what we found in looking at those records, and if you want to see the whole story, we'll have it on our website, mlsoulofdetroit.com. There'll be a link there. And we found out that Jeff Figer told... Lloyd's of London that he was entitled to his $16 million payout because he couldn't practice law anymore. But then we found out, I found out through some digging that he was not only continuing to practice law, but he was doing exactly what he said he couldn't do, which is go before a jury and fight for a client. So that raises some other questions. Did one of the most prominent trial lawyers in the state of Michigan try and defraud his insurance company? Did the most prominent lawyer in the state of Michigan risk his health trying to fight for clients? And there's another issue, and we didn't make a big deal of this in the story, but I've heard from some other people who seized on it, and I think it is something that may lead to some other developments that will be newsworthy, is Figer said to his insurance company that because I can no longer go into court and fight for my clients, I have had to settle cases at a a drastically reduced rate. And so the question now is, did he tell those clients that I'm not up to full speed? Did you tell clients that we're, we're settling cases and we could probably get more if I wasn't sick? Those clients are entitled to the full fury and power that Jeffrey Figer brings to a case. And if there are people who feel that they didn't get what they're entitled to, that could lead to some more litigation, perhaps some, some complaints. That's why it's significant. If, if this man is out there saying, if you hire me, I'll run through a wall for you, but he's telling his insurance company, I shouldn't even get on a treadmill, that's something you're entitled to know. That's something that, uh, that no one is going to tell you except for the fourth estate, for reporters who dig into these things. That's why we did the story. And does it suck that his health is ailing now? Yeah. I don't want his health to ail and he had that i think he was go undergoing something when he had the stroke right yeah for a for a heart uh, uh flutter i like i like feiger i like not all all the things he's done but i like him he seems like a good guy but i don't want him to be ripping off an insurance company who i you know typically you don't like insurance companies well if, if anybody thinks that the media feels that their jobs will be easier or that their lives would be more exciting without jeffrey feiger yeah you got to be kidding yourself. Yeah. For 40 years, this guy has been one of the best stories around, from running for governor, from rep- from representing, well, Jack Kevorkian in first place, from running for governor, from challenging Get the Bell Ready, Kwame Kilpatrick, when he was... Does anybody remember that voicemail that Kwame Kilpatrick left Jeff Figer when he said, uh, hey, Jeff Figer, Kwame Kilpatrick, you got a lot of money. I need some of it. I'm running oh, for wow. mayor. Please please hit me back to make a donation. He didn't realize, first of all, you shouldn't leave a message like that. Mm. Second of all, you shouldn't realize, you shouldn't leave a message like that for somebody who you don't know whether they support you or not. And third, when he found out that Jeff Figer supported Gil Hill and Jeff Figer released that message, Kilpatrick, no, I didn't leave no message for Jeff Figer. He's like, yes, you did. Just like he said, I, I would never hit. What? You tell me he lies? Yeah. Well, it's one of the early indications, but... Jeff Figer has been front page news almost since the day he got out of college. So nobody takes any glee in the suffering of Jeff Figer. And none of us take any glee in the suffering of anybody. So we hope he makes a full recovery. But I think the fact that he hasn't said anything and his firm hasn't said anything may be an indication that 
that things are very serious, and that's, and that's a, nothing we celebrate. To Chelsea's email, though, she talks about the tabloidy part about it. I, I oh. will admit, I am fascinated about a battle. Between, really? Huh? You're fascinated. By a battle between the Lloyds of London lawyers and Jeffrey Figer. I mean, these are two big heavyweights, and you had the part in your article about... Um, I think it was, he was trying to kind of, I don't know, fast track it or who claims he was trying to fast track it. And it was just a comedy of errors because a brief got sent to the wrong address. And then the names were different. It's, it's really kind of a wild scenario where, you know, it's the legal battle I find very interesting. No, oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah. No, there's, there's a question as to whether or not they tried to ram this through. And the uh, Lloyd's, lawyers for Lloyd's of London said, you know, they didn't tell us about this lawsuit, and now they're trying to cash it out. Their theory is he wanted to get a default judgment where a judge says, if the other side doesn't contest it, get your money. And their theory is that Figer was doing whatever he could to get the $16 million before the insurance company could investigate. Because as they investigated, and you'll see this if you look at the story, they found evidence that they feel is compelling evidence that Figer's had heart problems going back to 1999. 1999. And, and I have to tell you, <coughs> excuse me, when I think about this, excuse you. I, I think, uh, I think that Jeff Figer loves what he's doing so much that you pretty much would have to tie him down yeah. to keep him from getting into a courtroom. And it may be, it may be that is what could end up, you know, robbing him of some quality, of the rest of his life. Uh, I mean, it's it's a to me, it's a very poignant story, but it's a fascinating story about a major newsmaker. And if you think Jeff Figer doesn't want us talking about him, don't look at his commercials because he's front and center in all of them. The man loves the spotlight. And so when he makes news that he's not pushing, we're going to report it. That's what we do. Not but, giving in. I'm not giving in. That's right. No, no, never give in. I, this has been a really great show. You three... <laughs> Three it started top, out strong. Three top not yeah, with me I'm not what here is, for sure. Oh wait, no, no, three no. Top Clara guests. was great. You don't like Clara? No, I said three top notch guests. That's awesome. That was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Great booking. Are you in a hurry? No, that's just great booking. Yeah. Fabulous. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. I think he's in a hurry. Oh, sorry. Um I don't know. I thought it was a good story, ML. Thank you. Yeah, thank very you, good. Thank you for the feedback, Chelsea. And, and to Chelsea, to, to answer your other point, we're not trying to dodge this. Readers did respond to that story. I got a lot of emails. I typically get a lot of emails, but it was one of the most viewed stories on the Free Press website, and a lot of people subscribed, but that's not why we do stories. I mean, I think the business side likes it when that happens. Yeah, Mark, your your look is right. But, well, no, I'm wondering. No, but when we do stories, we want to do stories that people care about. When they care about, they will read them. And if they want to read them and they don't have a subscription, they'll subscribe. So one is part of the other. They're, they're, they're tie-barred, to use a legal term. One goes with the other. No, I was just looking back on her email. They're like Matt Damon and, and Greg, uh, what's his name in that Siamese twin movie? Greg Kinnear. Oh, uh, stuck to the, stuck the, on the, you? the brothers. Yeah, exactly. uh, that's a great movie. Was it the Fairly Brothers? Yeah. No. Uh -huh. What happened to Greg? Can he's so good? I never Can seen him in anything. No, he was just in something recently. Oh, he's oh shit! It's gonna drive me nuts. Now. Talk about a guy with amazing amazing range. But what I was gonna say is, um, Chelsea's email. She's saying, you know, is this fit for a sleazy tabloid or unbecoming? Is it unbecoming of a serious watchdog? Is it because you write about politicians so much and now it's about a lawyer? I don't know. 
Because I'm looking at your old your old articles. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, I guess that's a good Coleman point. It's Coleman Young, it's Karamo, um, sure. Anthony Morocco, Duggan. Well, pretty uh, much. Chatfield. Pretty much, I can write about whatever I want, and yeah. so I try and write about uh, interesting things. Uh, I also, you know. Uh, to her to point be, about business, yeah. I, I happen mean, to be a pretty, like, yeah. I happen to be a pretty good investigator, so this is one that, that required some digging. This required some resourcefulness, and I think. I'm the right one for that, but it's a high profile guy. And, and if you want to talk about on guard, maybe the people we're guarding with this column is folks who might try and hire Jeffrey Figer, expecting to get Jeffrey Figer at the height of his powers to represent them in court. So we are trying to protect the people of Michigan, consumers, readers, you name it, by telling them things that other people wouldn't tell you. The whole idea about on guard for the free press isn't just about being government watchdogs. It's about looking out for the people who read the free press, who live in Detroit, who live in the state of Michigan, or anywhere where we are able to break news. So big story, you put one of your top reporters on it. I know it sounds like I'm blowing my own horn, but I am one of our top reporters. So, you know, it was a marriage made in heaven, me and Geoff. We're going to hold hands just like Kinnear and Matt Damon. Greg Kinnear was recently in Blackbird on Apple TV+. Plus. Oh, okay. You guys seen that? I did see that. So damn good. He was the detective. Yeah, he was good. He was man. awesome in it. I have to watch that. That petered out for me. What? Yeah. I watched the whole thing, but it was it's based it was, on a true story. Oh, I know. It petered out a little bit in the end. Oh, no, it didn't. You're wrong. Speaking of petering out, well, we I should probably <laughs> we should probably see what's going on with Carlos and Sean. Yeah. Nothing. <laughs> oh, okay. What's next? Wow, well that so well, that's not an angry. So he, here's here's Sean sitting here saying, "Yeah, we do trying things to sell stuff," and then then we're like, "How about your show?" He's like, "Nothing." We, you, you're you're making your own point there that we don't really do a very good job of trying to sell what we do. We 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 do with the writing. We try with the stories. Yeah. <laughs> Sean also had some stories that did very well with subscribers, by the way. So what ones? Because I try to pick stuff that's interesting, just like you. I mean, for a different audience. What'd you write about recently? Sell uh, it. I've written a lot lately. I mean, you sell I, it. I don't know. Who knows? What did I write? Here, here's what I wrote. Nice <laughs> selling it. Sean's giving in. This I portion wrote. of the free press brought to you by Gannett Marketing. I know. <laughs> I wrote. Why are you so bad at selling stuff? I'm just terrible at it. I wrote about uh, the rebuild of the three non-Lions pro sports teams. Okay. Major, major pro sports teams. Sorry. D, uh, C- DCFC. No, sorry. You're, no, you're, no, an, no, you're an investor over here. Aren't you still, or did you divest yourself? Uh, of no, that? no. I now own five shares of the club, and each of my girls owns one share of the club. But they are in a class that has no power, uh, no authority, and we basically were told these shares, the minute you buy them, are worthless because you can't really convert them for anything. Hmm. It's more of a way to support like the, the club. Pa- like the package. Nice, 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 nice. Yeah, yeah. So Green Bay it's like, package. It's like yeah. going to your favorite pop up or whatever. Um, in any case, I wrote a column about the three non-Lions teams in town and the... In- what was your answer? Which interminable, one? Interminable. Uh, the most heat? Interminable had, uh, what do you call it? Rebuilds. I can't even think of the word. Rebuilds. Yeah. People are sick of it. Although, who knows? Well, they've been in a rebuild forever. All of them. All three of them. Yeah. And people are a little I think bit people more. are a little more patient with Eisenman. A tiny bit, but done it down in Tampa. But what happened this past year, where he sold, expected more, yeah, yeah, where he sold people, he sold some of his better players away, and then that's they okay. Kind of tanked oh, but, after that. Uh, I I agree with him there because I still what, trust him. Yeah. Did, no, did, for sure. But did, if he did, you want them to make the playoffs to get swept by the Bruins? No, 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 not at all. But the players, uh, the players are frustrated. No, no. It, but next year they need to 
I think, compete a little bit more, or people will start getting antsy, even with him. Oh, yeah. No, no. I, I think that the big thing with selling is when you do it for draft picks, you're basically saying, we'll, we'll, we've lost people who can contribute today for people who might be able to contribute in, in three, three or four, four years. Exactly. In That's, hockey in particular. Yes. That, that, even Baseball's Lucas, the same. Yeah, even Lucas Raymond and Moritz Sider took a year or two before they got here. So that's that was the thing about the rebuild where I was like, ooh, we must be further away than I thought. Yeah, no, for sure. And then your captain's going to be an old dude by the time these young guys right, get Right, and, the, and then the Tigers are, the Tigers, although who knows. Yeah, but we know where the blame for that goes. Yeah, baseball can get a little Baseball, quirky. you can spend money. And then the Pistons have had. That's the team that needs to show up the, next the year. The Edmonton Oilers of the NBA. They do need to show up next year. They've had a, they have a little bit of a pass because they lost their best player to injury at the beginning of the year. No, I know, but next year. But next year they need to um yes. They need to make a Sacramento Kings leap. Oh, they're fun. Anyway. So they're a great team. Yeah, they're so fun. Yeah. Does, anyway. it, does anybody want to my favorite Sacramento Kings in, involve my least favorite player of all time? Chris Weber. Chris Weber and Jason Williams. That was a fun team to watch. Vladi Divots, if you ever watched the way those guys move the I ball. I tell my kids unbelievable. Uh, I, I tell my kids about that team all the time. It was one of the most fun watches in the history of the NBA. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh and the crowd was did it's the crowd's just as great now as it was then. But yeah. Anybody want to make a side bet on whether the the, the Red Wings or the Lions make the playoffs first? Well, the Lions. Because I'll take the Red Wings. Really? Oh, my God. I'll, well, how much you now, want to it, it may be in the same season, so it could be a push. But, yeah, I think I think the Red Wings will make the playoffs uh, at or before the Lions. Next year? Yeah. No way. Really? If the Pistons are healthy, I think they push around the edges of the playing game. No, you just don't think the Lions are going to make the playoffs. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's what he's saying. Yeah, that's absolutely. He doesn't want him to because much, he's. Much. I don't think he realized. He's taken his heart and wrapped it in foil and then put it in a little box they made of diamonds. Become a pretty and solid doesn't want it to uh, organization over two years. I got diamonds. Yeah, diamond encrusted. Right. Yeah. He doesn't want his heart to be touched at all by any kind of buzz from the Lions because the moment he starts to let that out a little bit, he's just gonna. You know, he's worried about more pain. Yeah, I'm. I'm afraid to love again. With Tommy Hudspeth with ruined me for all other with the lions. For all other lions. Nah, I just I just think shit happens with the lions. I don't know why. Um, so, not, oh god, that's such maz reasoning. Well, it's not really because it happened before. I would call it disingenuous, but before uh, because if they get really it's good, the only thing that's happened, he'll be on his knees it's not crying. True. No, 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 no. Of no. course you will. You'll look around. Not to if tell. you if you love this city. Like you say you do, and they get really good, and you look around and see the joy you're going to see if that happens, of course you're going to weep. I'm happy for people to be happy. I just have no investment whatsoever in the Lions. It's just, just not, it's not one of the things that no, I... No, you do what you do to protect yourself, and I appreciate that. I respect that. You know, I think really you're missing your calling. You should be a counselor because you can really look into people's souls and see what's in there. You know, it's a gift. No, not really. Just yours. It's a, it's a diamond encrusted. It's just yours. It's more of a curse. It's not with everybody, just you. <laughs> so the so curse did a, work? It's a burden. Okay. Um, but I love the empathy you were showing earlier <laughs> in the show. Even though Mark said unusual. Okay, listen back, folks. There's some quality content in there somewhere. <laughs> and I think we got four Kilpatrick references. I didn't mention that uh, that Kilpatrick's half-sister is in you Perry did. Mason. Mm -hmm. Did I? Okay, that's the okay. fourth reference. Yeah, great. Okay, doesn't count the second time. Uh, great show today, everybody. Mark, great to have you back. Sean? Not so much. I like your sweatshirt. 
I want to give everybody a compliment. I want to praise everybody. I want everybody to come up, leave here with something to, you know. We did hold. miss Mark Lester. Their diamond encrusted heart. And well, Joe did a great job getting us through it, man. Joe. No, was, he did. He did. But, you know, it's not the same without, without Mark. Aww. It isn't the same. You're much better off to have you two without me than me and you without Mark. You need Mark. Yeah, and you need no, you, but you don't really need me. That's so. very kind. Thank you. Yeah, you need Mark. I'm trying anyway. to be and you. positive here. But you know who we need? Who? Oh, I know. I think we all know. Cyrus. 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 Uh, Cyrus, are you there? Hey. Praise the Lord. See, can you take us out? Can you dig that? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? created by Earl Stanley Gardner is brought to you by Tide, Procter and Gamble's amazing new discovery for your whole family wash. Try Tide yourself, and you too will agree you've never used anything like it. This is the soul of Detroit.